Hello, everyone. You are listening to the Define University podcast, a space designed for educators to ignite your passion, transform your mindset, and learn to love who you are in the process. My name is Lindsay Titus, and I am here to share simple yet strategic steps each week with you to build your momentum into creating a life full of purpose and passion. The time is now. Let's dive on in to today's episode. Welcome back, everyone, to another brand new episode of the Define University podcast. I'm Lindsay Titus, and I'm so excited to dive in with today's guest. We're not going to waste any time because I know what we are going to talk about is going to be so good. We're just going to jump right into the content. So, but I guess before we do that, I'll introduce, I'll let the guest introduce himself. So we've got Matthew Bowerman here on the podcast. Matthew, welcome. Hi, thank you so much for having me. Absolutely. Thanks so much for for joining me today. Um, I'm excited to dive in all the things that you do, you know, kind of speak near and dear to my heart. So I know that we're going to have some really great conversation. Um, Before we dive in though, um, can you kind of just kind of set the stage, kind of give a little, um, you know, give the audience just a little bit of like, who is Matthew if they're not familiar with you yet? Absolutely. Thank you. And thanks for the opportunity. I really appreciate the the time to share the space with you. Um, so prime first and foremost, uh, I'm a husband and father. I have six children um, and, uh, you know, very blessed in that way. Um, I am also... Uh, a school administrator, uh, about six years, and a teacher for about 18 years, for about total about 26 years in education now. Um, uh, along with that, my parallel life is uh, working with teacher goals as a speaker um, and trainer and author. Um, and then my other universe, it's been kind of a, a through line of my entire life. I'm a professional actor, singer, dancer, having performed nationally and internationally, um, everything from TV and film to off-Broadway. Uh, and yeah, I got a lot of uh, things I've always kind of been in love with, and so I've just followed them along uh, along the way. Yeah, I love that. <laughs> Actually, I want to I want to kind of start there because I think so often, you know, especially as I mean, we, you know, as kids, I feel like we're always tried to like I don't even know, like put ourselves in a box, right? That question of like, what do you want to be when you grow up, right? So I feel like when we get that question, at least for me, and I, maybe it's just me, but I always thought there was like one answer, right? And in hearing you, you know, it's like you've got, you know, a lot of different categories that kind of define who Matthew is. So, but you said like, it's kind of always been that way. Did you ever feel like you had to pick one or how did you, because I even hear adults now, they're like, well, I can't do this because I'm also, you know, a teacher. I'm not going to have the time. And how did you know, like, well, I'm just going to do all of it because it all serves me. Like just, was it just kind of something innate in you or did you have people supporting you along the way? Yeah, I appreciate the question. I, I think um, the nature of my, I guess, like multiple identities, so to speak, in, in terms of the work I, I've pursued and and my passions um, really come out of always wanting to be a part of, of something service-based. I mean, I, I love to sing and dance and act. Like, I was that boy, right? The one with the 30 girls in the room, everybody's tapping and jazz, dance, whatever it is. And they're like, there's that boy. That was me. There he is. <laughs> so very proud of that, you know. Um, but I don't know. I was always I was always that kid, um, for better or for worse, along the way and the things that followed me. Um, and so that was always, I think, a part of the fiber of my being, um, not necessarily like having to be like front and center in terms of like attention, but just the need that I love music. I really love to sing. I love to create. And maybe that's kind of the part of the artistry, loving to be a part of creation and creating. And, and I guess being 
uh, given those talents, um, you know, they really held held strong with me in, in terms of my value systems and what I believed and pursued, um, you know, through a lot of my uh, childhood into my uh, growing up uh, years. But I, I, a lot of it comes out of I just I just I could never fit. Um, I was always looking for my place um, in the world, my my space to occupy. And so there are different things I really loved or were interested in, or that you know really rang true in my heart. And so I just tried to follow those and and continue to as I as I tried to make meaning of my own life, work through my own you know story, identify and heal and recover from my own traumas, et cetera, et cetera. But always just trying to fit in. And I think, you know, to what you were talking about around where other people, you know, I can't do this because I'm this. And I I think that internal struggle, I think for me, the the offer of advice there to others is that it's it's okay to productively struggle with those questions. It's okay to, you know, be searching and seeking out meaning for yourself. I, I think the the goal there is that you're always, you know, seeking you know, always trying, you know, to find things that stick with you, always try to trying to find ways to kind of identify, you know, those, those things that are most important to your heart and to your life and really trying to um, actualize those, you know, as a career or as, or as a passion or as a hobby or whatever it is that takes hold in you, but that gives you gives you root in those things and then gives you purpose that you can carry those things, um, you know, forward. Um, in your life. Yeah, I think, yeah, it just so much of what you just said, I resonate with completely. And, you know, just to the listeners out there, like, I hope that you heard like, this is a process, right? Like this, even if you're like, well, I'm, I'm a couple years away from retirement, or, you know, I'm already past like that age, like we're throwing that all out the window, because it really doesn't matter. Like, the, it, it really is an ongoing process. You know, I love that you said it. it's really searching. Like it's okay if you, you know, we don't find that one thing. It's like, try lots of different things. We don't have to always know where it's going to go. We don't have to always know the end result. We can still have fun in the process of figuring out, you know, all the things that, that we want to kind of do in a day or in a month or, or essentially, you know, in our lifetime. And I think sometimes in education, we get, you know, stuck in that educator hat um, of, you know, this is who I am. And I work so hard to help people, you know, see who else, you know, they are. And I know something that you really, you know, feel strongly and passionate about is, you know, helping create, you know, trauma sensitive spaces, which I would guess then would allow, you know, students and staff to feel, you know, and heal in who they are. Um, could you share a little bit about kind of your passion with, you know, creating those spaces um, and just anything, you know, kind of you would, you'd like to share with people that maybe are interested in the topic, but aren't sure how to kind of learn more about it? Uh, absolutely. And, and I would say to that point, you know, as an educator as well, none of this work exists in a vacuum, not or, or a silo. We, you know, we are all bound together by, you know, we're in this profession because we're in the business of people. In, in constructing children's lives and thus in turn families' lives and prioritizing staff lives. And so, you know, none of us are alone embedded in the work of education as educators, as, you know, people in a, in a service-based, you know, existence in that, in that way. And so um, I think the first thing that I try to do in these kinds of conversations is really encourage people in what I call uh, origin building that you're really first experiencing your own journey and your own story wherever you're able to meet yourself in it in terms of your origin. What has shaped you? What has led you to the place you're in now? 
um, in whatever role or responsibilities that you may carry um, in the universe of education, whether you're a paraeducator, whether you're a building service worker, cafeteria worker, bus driver, teacher, um, it, it really makes no difference because, you know, time is short and children come first. I, I've said this often in terms of the work that we are, you know, given that's set, that set before us. And so really identifying your own self um, and being able to identify both your strengths and your areas of need um, really puts you in a place where it's important to prioritize your mental health um, and your own wellness so you can be as clear as possible in terms of who and what you are in your origin work so that you can engage in this work, whether it be designing trauma responses, spaces, um, or engaging in trauma responsive interventions or generalized social emotional engagement work with students, staff, or families. That work really can't happen in any way unless the relationships really start with the one you build with yourself first, being as clean and whole and healthy as possible. And that takes work too. You mentioned the word process before. That takes critical processing work and, and sustainable long-term work around self in order to do to do that engagement work with others. And so, yeah, depending on the, the opportunities that are presented to me, whether it be um, in, my, in my role, working with just amazing communities um, and, and students and staff or, or out there in the bigger universe, training and teaching and talking and writing about it, um, you know, we're really looking to create, especially last 10 years, last five years coming out of the pandemic, um, actualized spaces, you know, um, Part of my whole philosophy of, around my concept of heart leading is that love uh, binds and guides us in everything that we do. And from that place, it's not just a philosophy and a theory um, that we can love students, staff, and families to better places, but we can operationalize love into very strategic, very intentional tools. And so from those tools, we're able to create spaces, create interventions, create language framing, and therefore behaviors within school context, school settings, within our own practices um, that really can um, do everything from, you know, emotional regulation work to really setting up a climate and culture in a school community. Um, and so that's about, you know, training staff, um, whether it be in schools, whether it be in companies, whatever it might be, but training groups of people around the philosophies of what it means to be trauma responsive, what it means to um, understand compassion fatigue, what it means to live trauma adjacent in the world that we're in now, um, and then to be able to move forward with those understandings, to buy into that work, and then to be able to set up spaces that are really designed, everything from the types of colors and lighting and the reduction of overstimulation within environments to also the different types of tactile, sensory, kinesthetic um, toys, items, um, seating um, within spaces that gets created, as well as coping mechanisms, um, coping items, emotional uh, regulation, uh, strategic tools, i.e. like um, zones of regulation, for example, things like that that are placed in spaces with conversations with your students, with conversations with your staff and with your communities, where there's a lot of buy-in around that work. And that comes, you know, after that origin building work, when there's a lot of um, initial talk about what this is going to look like in spaces. Um, and then, of course, you're building out from those spaces to the intentional work that's going on every day in classrooms, in hallways, um, on playgrounds, and, 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 and at home and really anywhere else where there's a child, you know, that you're interacting with 
whether they are, um, you know, highly dysregulated in some type of emotional way, or they're simply struggling with some generalized anxiety. You know, you don't have to know as a heart leader, you don't have to know a child's trauma to love them and engage in them in a fully holistic way. Um, but you do know how to be proactive and responsive as opposed to reactive in your behavior. And so we try to design and create spaces that are responsive to the nature of um, staff and students have a lot of different needs that they're carrying around with them every day, you know, of an emotional nature. And then also how we you know, engage with them, how we speak with them, um, and how we kind of love them forward to better, healthier, regulated places. Oh, so, so good. And so many, I think easy, you know, it's, I, I say easy. I was, I was pause when I say that word, because I often get like, it's not easy. That, that's not what I mean. But it's like, they're simple. Like there are things that you know, somebody could do today, right? And so you mentioned a lot of things, right? Like we think about our classrooms, we think about the colors, the lighting, what, you know, tactile pieces do I have? What emotional tools are available? If, if somebody listening, you know, this is going to come out like, you know, summer as, as teachers are, you know, hopefully in a space of, you know, blending both the rest and relaxation with also some growth and setting goals for the new school year. If somebody is listening to this and they're thinking, okay, like I get it. I'm ready to maybe, you know, start building this momentum. Is there something that you recommend that kind of like the beginning teacher do in their space, you know, kind of like as a baseline, like, a, like, you know, here's where you start, or is it really individualized based on, you know, teachers or classrooms or anything like that? Um, what The first thing I would probably do is listen to you. And I mean, the universal you out there who's sharing in this experience right now with us, that you can contact me, send me pictures of your space, send me conversation for us to have with each other. Um, and I can help, you know, really one-to-one it um, in that way. But on a bigger sense for all of our colleagues out there, you know, you have amazing behavior interventionists, school psychologists, school counselors in your building, administration, peer colleagues, et cetera, that you're going to want to engage in conversation with about um, where that particular community, school community is around the work. Um, you know, that way you have not only the buy-in and the permission, but a clear group of people who are helping to lead you forward in that work and provide additional, um, you know, strategic tools and, you know, their expertise as well. This type of work, like I mentioned before, not this existing in a vacuum, um, really requires others as well, because, you know, that flash pass you provide is a strategic possible tool for a student who really struggles with high degrees of anxiety um, or emotional up and down swings in their in their emotional temperament and their behavior also may have a flash pass to go to safe space with a counselor or a teacher they had last year. And those people need to be completely locked in to the work you want to engage in and are aware of what's going on. So there's those conversations happening um, as well as you begin to build. But, you know, it could be as simple as like, we'll call it, you know, the people call them depending on the age level, right? It's the cozy corner, the comfy corner, the Zen den, the mindfulness area, Imagination Station. You could have all different kinds of names or spaces, but one of the key is, is as you've shared out with your families and your administration has given the green light on it, and you've got these mental health providers and practitioners, you know, aligned with you in it and giving you tools or giving you ideas, you know, some of the simple things around the science are warm colors. Um, the warmer colors, for example, help to reduce overstimulation. Um, the cooler colors as well. And we're not talking about hot colors when I say warm. Um, we're talking about like, like uh, more degraded hues 
um, of warming colors, but um, you know the very fluorescent and explosive colors out there are are frequently triggers for students in a lot of different um, emotional regulation uh, deregulated states. Um, but lighting, a lot of the fluorescent lighting in school, for example, is all, can be also very triggering um, to everybody from students who may be on the spectrum um, to again students who have um, uh, emotional and emotional disability of some type. Um, and so being aware of how you can mute colors or use lamps or other lighting in the classrooms um, or in other spaces um, and, and try to provide an area, whether it be with rocker stools, bouncy chairs, um, you know, bean bags, the Big Joe comfy chairs, things like that, where they have some deep pressure that they're applying to themselves or that they can sit into and kind of, you know, melt into or sink into a little bit. There's uses of weighted blankets as well that people um, utilize. So being able to put together a space that's not so hard corners, that's soft, that communicates, hey, there's value here for you when you need a break from that, you know, that desk and that chair area. Um, there's something over here for you that offers you a different type of opportunity um, to de-stress, to decompress, to feel um, safe, to feel kind of wrapped around a little bit. Um, to, to use that term, um, there may be like a high school level, there might be music that they can plug into um, and listen to. There might be, you know, at a middle school level, there might be all kinds of mandala and coloring books and things that they can draw and color. Um, one of the games I've liked to do that I've talked about before is um, with, with students, um, we play like where they have sheets of tinfoil and each one they're able to like write down something intentionally that's really got them frustrated. Well, then we like spend time bawling that tinfoil up, feeling it um, in their fingers, pressing and crushing and feeling that wonderful, like tense and release feeling. And then playing trash ball with, with this little trash can nearby, then throwing them away, getting rid of them and like working through the breathing techniques. They're really mindfully breathing through the release of that item. And so just providing a space like that, that may have rugs down, may have some muted color, may have different lighting and be a little bit separated from the classroom per se. Um, like I said, it could be as small as a corner. It could be a larger space um, for staff as well, designating areas within um, a common space that's completely um, set aside with regards to lighting and use of um, plants and flowers and different types of seating, different types of messaging on the walls and around it. And the same thing with the student spaces around messaging as well that communicates, you know, those repeated things that everyone needs to hear that you have value. It's a safe space. You're welcomed here regardless of your sexual orientation, regardless of your identity, of your culture, of your religion, of your race, that this is a space for anyone who needs it at any time. Um, and then the buy-in around the conversations around how those spaces are used, are there sign outs for them, um, how they're shared and, and things like that. So th there's some things uh, there to take away. Yeah, so good. And, you know, as you were talking, you know, a couple of things kind of like stood out to me just as like a, you know, somebody that would think, you know, think through this and think, how do we make this happen? Right. And so I love what you shared. And I think, you know, really what I took away is like, be creative, right? There's no like scripted, like, here's what you have to have in these spaces. But these are these concepts, right? These are, these are things backed by science that show like this helps regulate your systems, regulate emotions. But it's really, you know, I think sometimes as educators, we focus on the barriers, right? Well, I don't have a lot of space. I don't have the materials. What if nobody else is there? And, and something I'm constantly sharing or 
you know, trying to share out in the world is there's always going to be barriers, you know, whether they're physical or whether they're mental, whatever it is, but focus on what you do have access to focus on what you can do. And that's why I love you said it can be a space, it could be a corner, you know, I've seen where kids have little like, like tents or things like little signs almost they put on their desk. That's just like, I'm in my chill space right now, please, you know, please walk on by. And that doesn't take any space at all because it's right at their space, right at their place. And I just think it's something that's really important to remember that there's, you know, if we focus on the barriers, we're going to find more barriers, but instead we can focus on what's the long, what's the goal, right? And how do we help support um, by bringing in and utilizing what we do have and then continuing to advocate for what it is that we are in need of, whether it's for ourselves personally, for our students, for our faculty and staff. Um, one thing that's been, that was on my mind really at the end of the school year, because I do, I see a lot of classrooms. I go in a lot of classrooms. I work, you know, in a, in a 10 building district. Um, and we have a lot of the calming corners, a lot of the calming areas, which I love, like I'm all for it, but a wonder I had, and you kind of touched on it, but I'm just curious to know your, your thoughts on it is I always want, you know, calming. It's usually for the escalated students, right. To help, to help calm them down. That's really the purpose. But I always wonder about the students that come in more, you know, zones of regulation, like at that blue zone, or they come in almost under-regulated. Like, have you seen, or would you recommend like creating, I almost think like energizing spaces, like I almost think like, or energizing activities within the calm space. Like, have you seen it kind of both ways or what's, what's your take on that? Yeah, absolutely. And I've used them. Um, and yeah, I'll, I'll share, I'll share what I've created. I, I want to say first, you mentioned something that was really beautiful uh, that I, I really appreciate around, you know, if you're always looking for barriers, you always find the barriers. Um, I, I think one of the biggest things in all of this work, uh, and especially with what I was just talking about, and, and mirroring what you were just saying is that none of this work can actually exist. And I mean, in its creation and implementation, or at any strategic, strategic like school improvement level, unless the relationships are there as a consistent thing between children and adults. Um, and that's in, in every single possible way. You know, that's, you know, from standing outside in the hallway, outside your door every day and making sure that that child gets that special love from you when they show up at that door, whether they're 15 or whether they're seven. Um, you know, the nature of this work really thrives off of, I'm able to do this work. I'm able to create this space. I'm able to have this conversation with you when I push into this room to be with you because I've taken significant time to invest in, in the emotional bank of you. I've put significant currency in that and we've exchanged that currency. So there's massive dividend payouts, you know, to kind of borrow this bank metaphor over time because I'm invested in you in a way that says your emotions will always be validated by me. Your experiences, no matter what's going on, will always be validated by me. And that goes for the child who's under or over-regulated to, to use you know, both of those pieces there. Um, so I want to, I want to kind of share that first, but in terms of what you were just asking about, one of the things I've created before is what I call a burn box. And so I have an area taped out in a space. And so uh, like on the floor, I use like uh, different colored painters tapes or whatever. Um, and, you know, students who in, in that case, who are, have this kind of either coming to school with something that's just pulled the ripcord on them, and sucked all the wind out and they've just landed deflated, you know, in, in my space suddenly, or just seem to be in a place where they're stable from an emotional standpoint, but there's something that's just, <sighs> but not in a way that they're energized in a way that they're missing something. Um, 
what I have done before in that space is we've burned off energy. We've created energy and burned it. So sometimes in some of the um, self-contained environments I've worked in as a special ed teacher in the past, um, we've got down and what we do is we go arms to arms, bodies to bodies, um, and we do like pressure push-ups. Um, some of my boys and I, and they like love that. Then they want to compete against me. Then they're suddenly laughing and talking. Everything else has been dropped. Their energy has gone up. Their heart rate has gone up. Adrenaline's up. They're ready for the next thing a few minutes later when we're working on that novel um, in, in an English unit. And, that, and of course, it's like anything, right? There's no perfect solution to anything. We're working with fragile, vulnerable human beings at any level, dealing with all kinds of things. That's adults and children alike, which is why the relationships are so critical. And all of this work will always be subjective based on the moment, based on the, the responsive work you're cr trying to create, and those moments when it has to be reactive because something just pops. And then you have to be there in that moment to provide that love, that support, those strategies, clear a classroom, help support a teacher, push in, pull out, whatever is happening. Sometimes there are reactive moments, thus the, the need for such powerful relationship building from the very beginning and, and the origin building within yourself. Also within that burn space I mentioned, I'll, um, I have before, you know, bring out my Legos because whether they're 18 or kindergarten, I found at every age, um, you bring out the Legos, um, I just dump them, a bunch of them, and they're like, oh, okay, oh, that's cool. Um, and they just start to play. Suddenly, they've activated this inner child. Whether they, they, Of course, they might be the younger child or they might be older. And they just start fiddling and playing. And then I kind of, I'm outside the box, outside the, the actual space itself. And I will ask for permission to enter the space. Hey, is it okay if I come sit a little closer to you? Oh, yeah, that's fine. Or no, not right now. Okay, I'll stay over here. And I just let them work. And gradually, I'll move my way in until I'm in the space with them. And then I'm building with them. Now we're constructing together. And then the conversation almost always follows. And it might be completely unrelated to the matter at hand. But suddenly, something else is happening. Energies flying, neurons, you know, firing. We've got a lot of different things, brain-based and body-based happening as we're starting to burn a little bit. And the fire's going and the smoke's going. And we won't stay there for a while. If it can't be me because I'm teaching the whole class, I'll get another peer who might want to be a part of that, whether there's a positive interaction there, or I'll let them just work and be alone within that space until I can pop around and offer some different pull-in, push-in moments, or I'll bring a para in, I'll call the counselor down, another administrative support, whatever it might be that that relationship has happened elsewhere as well. Because again, it's not just about me, it's about what that child needs, or in some cases, exactly what that staff member might need if I'm trying to prioritize those needs. Awesome. Yeah, so so helpful. And I think, you know, we we hear all the time how important relationships are. And, you know, I, I hope nobody has not heard that, right? Like that. Right. <laughs> and, but I really do. I love that you went into detail because I really do think our, we have to know kind of what our own definition of a relationship is, right? Like it's more than saying hello. Like that's part of it. Like that's what, that's what starts it. But I love, and I, I can't remember exactly what you said, but it's really about it's, it's that, it's that mutual connection of like, I see you, I hear you, I'm here for you unconditionally. Right. Like, um, and I think that's really important because it has to go beyond just saying hi or saying their name, right? Like we have to take relationships for some of our students, maybe not all, but for some of our students so that we, they truly, we truly do know them. Um, I went back actually to my office. So I recently switched roles, um, in April and today I happened to go back to my assistant principal office I kind of left all my stuff there um you know the things on the walls and all the things and my my one board was covered in 
it was, I called it my positive board. It was just a whiteboard. And I always had like quotes and affirmations and things. So when kids came in my office, they were going to see something positive, even if we had to talk through some challenges. And I went in and there's all this stuff written, all positive stuff. And I knew exactly whose handwriting it was. I knew the students. There were multiple students. I knew the students because we had used that space collectively. And it wasn't more than a table and a whiteboard. And the reason I'm sharing this is because it doesn't have to be anything fancy. You know, it's more about the energy, I believe, that we bring to the relationship, to the situation, our ability to listen, right? That pause that you talked about, like, are you ready? No? Okay, great. I'm going to give you more time. Um, And it really is about slowing down to truly hear and see what is happening so that we know how to best respond in a way that we can energetically stand behind, right? So that we're responding in a way that aligns to us, aligns to the situation, but also aligns to the needs of the student. Um, you know, with that, I think one of the things that can be a challenge, and I know I, I work on this daily, is if my, as an adult, right, we've, we've got more things going on than just work, even though that's sometimes like the forefront, if I've had, you know, a night where there's been no sleep, you know, my kids are kind of driving me bonkers in the morning, or I have a big, you know, event this weekend, my energy capacity might be a little lower when I walk into work that day. And so if we have, if anybody listening, and I, and I think a lot of people relate to that, right? We don't have, you know, high energy all the time, but if in doing this work, we've got to have energy we've got to have that pool. We've got to have that to give. Do you have any, you know, um, strategies or recommendations you can share to somebody that might be going in like, okay, I know I've got to raise my own personal energy, you know, so that my capacity is ready for the day, but maybe they're just, they're not feeling themselves. Anything to kind of get their momentum rolling that day? Yeah, I I, I love that. Um, I think I'll use an example. So, you know, during the pandemic, right, I'm, I'm a leader. I'm doing all the things that so many leaders were doing, holding up the pillars of the universe during that time. Um, home visits, you know, device distributions, online, you know, all the things that we all have survived and come out of. Um, But during that time, my brother lost his life and trying to show up in spaces with other human beings um, and deal with the, the, the drama, the grief, the guilt, the, the loss, you know, takes a lot out, right? You know, just like all of us who have suffered losses, who know grief, who know pain, um, you know, those things do a lot to us. And sometimes, like you mentioned, you just wake up on the wrong side of the bed and miss your alarm clock and strike your face on the nightstand. And you're like, oh, really? Is this going to be my Tuesday? Mm-hmm. Um, I spilled my coffee in the car or I got to the door and tried to open the door while I'm carrying my bag and a, a bunch of stuff I bought for the kids and a coffee. And I just spilled all my coffee on the ground or whatever it is. Right. We're all carrying other things. So it's OK. So to that question. I think, again, from an origin-based standpoint, you have to give yourself permission to be human. There's no other way about it. We're vulnerable human beings with a lot that we are carrying, and it is okay to bring those things with us. The next step is asking oneself, how do I carry them and still move constructively? How do I carry them and still be responsive and not reactive? How am I checking my bias or my privilege, my trauma, or my grief in ways that keep me in a healthy space that I could acknowledge where I am and what I'm going through, but still be my best self on that given day for where I am. It might be 86%, not 100%. So, you know, I would say first, the recognition of that humanity in each person is critical walking in any day. 
that piece is important for us to wake up in the morning and work from that space. And then in terms of operationalized, like things to do, I would recommend a grounding strategy. You know, for example, one is can be done, you know, in the morning, get out of bed or sitting at a teacher desk. And that's just literally sitting with your feet on the floor. Sometimes you can go barefoot or in your socks or just in your high heels or your boots or whatever it might be and feeling your feet pressed against the ground and the weight of them and just sitting there and then standing and feeling the weight of your body moving down through the floor while you're just practicing your breathing in through the nose and out through the mouth, inhalation and exhalation. Again, you mentioned earlier, simple. We're talking about simple things to put your body back into a regulated, checked state. Um, it might occupy a mantra you're telling yourself. You may be listening to some music that you've added in, um, or you're playing some on your computer while you're just sitting for a few minutes, breathing into that space and just disappearing into your favorite Whitney Houston song, your favorite Coldplay, whatever, whatever it is. It might be the Jay-Z that you need to bump you up on that day and really get you vibed up because you're feeling like you're crashing over and over again through the day. Because, you know, you have, you know, a death in the family or you're suffering a breakup or your car broke down. And again, recognizing that humanity and then bringing it forward with very simple things that one can do in two minutes, five minutes, 15 seconds that are really things that are capable of being accomplished in a very busy day because we were carrying so much weight for all of these children that we're trying to teach, all of these staff that we're trying to support, um, and all these families that we're trying to empower. And so being able to do simple things that bring great clarity, great relief, great joy and happiness. It might be that you keep a couple of special pictures in a desk drawer. I do that one. I have one sitting right across from me right now, and it's my family. Eight of us, eight reasons that give me purpose every single day for what I do and why I do it, no matter how broken I feel or how whole and healthy I am. But those pictures might come out and you just walk through them and they just lock something in for you that you're like, yes, this, this, you breathe it in a good memory, you breathe it in a good feeling. And then you step up when those kids come in and you're like, I'm ready to love you again. I'm ready to march into that next moment. And that means, again, if you're at that 86% or that 100, meeting yourself just like you do with the kids. We're meeting them where they are. And you have to do the same for yourself and giving yourself permission to be human in that way. Oh, so, so good. I hope, I truly hope everyone listening, like, I almost want to say, like, rewind and go listen to that again. Like, that part, like, we've just got to, we've got to embrace that because it is so, so key. And you know, something I just want to add that I, I did this for myself. One of the questions I often get is like, Lindsay, how do you remember to do all these things? Or how do you just know? I'm like, cause I wrote them all down. Like, I'm like, I, in my notes, I don't have it anymore. Cause I, now it's become second nature to me, but I literally had like, when I'm stressed, I'm going to do these things. And it was like, it wasn't like a checklist, but it was like ideas, right? It was listen to this playlist. It was get a drink of water, right? Like what works for me. And I did it based on different emotional states because in the state, I couldn't think, oh, I'm gonna, right, I made that playlist, I'm going to go listen to it. But I knew I had this list to hold on to, right? You could do it on index cards, you could do it in a notebook, it doesn't matter. But don't allow or, or I guess don't wait for your memory to kick in when you're feeling that emotional response. But instead have a tool to kind of direct you to say, oh, this is what, you know, I'm feeling this way. Here are some ideas I came up with you know, which one, which one works for me right now or which one yeah. do I want to do? Does that make sense? It does. And you talked about it in a way like 
So you're initially writing it down. So it's intention-based, right? The intention is to write this down. I'm committing it like muscle memory to paper, pencil to paper, to really put it in front of me and actualize it as a vision-based thing, right? And so that's being processed through the eyes, going into the you know into the occipital orb. You're taking it in, and that part of the brain, the majority of what we learn is taken in through our eyes. So you're making that muscle connection. You're seeing it. You're seeing it again and again every time you flip that page open until ultimately, like you said, you don't need the notebook anymore because now it's become a practice. But even for adults, it takes roughly, you know, science says five to seven weeks to really ingrain a brain-based practice with like consistent, sustainable, you know, behavior attached to that practice. So, you know, for our, our listeners, for you and I, you know, to become practice, you really have to commit to that to that thing. And that's why, again, starting in simplicity and keeping it simple at first until it really feels good and you've really adjusted the the the, the filter on it. Check the aperture, make sure the lighting is just right within your emotional center, that it feels just right to make it a practice. So you're it's you're encouraged by it and it encourages you in a way that you want to do more of it. And it really uh brings you to a better place. So then you don't have to, it's and then it becomes truly you know, like I said, um, practice and, and, and memory um, at that point, and you won't need that, that notepad, but it definitely takes a while. And when you lose sight of it, which we all do, right? At some point, um, we veer off the road and get stuck at the wrong traffic stop. Um, then we go back to that notebook and we refresh the intention. We revise it. We add something new to it. Um, and then we carry that forward with us um, to lighten the load and to give ourselves, um, you know, a renewed purpose. Yeah. Oh my gosh. So good. So I think, you know, Matthew, I think we're definitely going to have to do a part two because I think <laughs> I could talk to you for hours about all of this. Um, but I truly appreciate your time and knowledge that all has been shared. Um, you know, before we kind of wrap up, is there, I'm going to have you share your, you know, how people can connect with you, but I always love to give guests just kind of like your, you know, what is like one thing you just, you know, that kind of like, you know, message you want to share to educators or people listening um, to kind of hopefully, you know, inspire them for, you know, what the work that they're doing. Is there anything you'd like to kind of finish off with today? Yeah, I would, I guess I would first say um, thanks to everybody. Um, the difference in this opportunity is, is you, Lindsay, and all of these people out there who help to make this possible to surround yourself with all of those beautiful people. Um, who are committed to the service work, who are the experts as well, um, guiding this work forward. Um, at, at the end of the day, you know, for me, my line is it's all about authentic relationships, all about authentic love. Um, there can be no greater gift you give yourself or, or anyone else in the work, um, but authentic relationships and authentic love. Um, so I would say that. Um, and for those who want to work with me, talk with me, whatever it might be. I don't know. Um, yeah, they can, uh, you know, the typical ones, right? My Twitter handle is at um, MJ Bowerman. Um, and my uh, email, you know, is just my name. So it's just Matthew, M-A-T-T-H-E-W, lowercase j, Matthew J. Bowerman, B-O-W-E-R-M-A-N, Matthew J. Bowerman at gmail.com. Email me with your questions, your thoughts, your ideas. I'm, I'm happy to engage at any point because the only way we grow in this work um, and support, you know, and better support families and students and 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 staff is that we really um, grow by by working in alignment with one another out there. So um, thank you very much. We've got to share that love. 
Awesome. Thank you so much, guys. Check out the show notes for all the ways to connect with Matthew. All the things that he is doing will be highlighted there. Um, so yes, please do not wait. Like, Go connect. Ask your questions. I know you've got some because we all do. <laughs> so, you know, trust me when you know, when, when we put out there in the world that we want to answer questions, we want to help and support, it is 100%, you know, meant. And so please, yes. please do that. Um, You are not, as, as Matthew has said several times in this episode, you are not meant to do this work alone. Um, Even if you feel like nobody in your building understands you, there are educators across this country and nation and world that do. And so make sure you are finding a community that serves you. Um, and that you can be authentic in, um, even if it's not, you know, where you're currently at. And that is absolutely okay. Um, so with that, Matthew, thank you so much for your time and knowledge today. I really appreciate it. I appreciate it. Thank you so much, Lindsay. And thank you, everybody. All right, you guys. That's it for this episode. But another new episode is coming very soon. So in the meantime, keep on loving who you are, owning who you are, trusting in who you are. Those will all help you define who you are each and every day. Get out there and I'll see you guys next week. This podcast is a proud member of the Teach Better Podcast Network. Better today, better tomorrow, and the podcast to get you there. Explore more podcasts at www.teachbetterpodcastnetwork.com. We will see you on the next episode.